Good morning, afternoon, evening, middle of the night, everybody, wherever you may be. This is Brian Newbert from goldenblack.com. Normally, I would be live in my car recording what we're calling our goldenblack.com drive home. Instead, I'm sitting on a bench on Waikiki Beach looking at the Pacific Ocean. So we'll call this your goldenblack.com sitting on a bench looking at the Pacific Ocean. Uh, following Purdue's 78-75 win at the Maui Invitational in the title game over Marquette. Uh, this is brought to you by our friends at the East End Grill and Ripple and & Company, Purdue Federal Credit Union, uh, T&W Design and & Build, AcrePro.com, and the Whitaker Inn, which I will not be driving by tonight. Um, so anyway, uh, Purdue wins not only the greatest Feast Week event. I've only now started to catch on to the fact people call this Feast Week. I've been looking for a way to refer to this week all, all along. I never dawned on me. I don't know how I was so oblivious to that. Anyway, Purdue not only wins the finest Feast Week event of this season, but probably the finest, not probably, absolutely the finest Feast Week event ever put together. Now, you book these things years in advance, so when you book this whenever it was booked, you had no idea you were going to have like four of the top 11 teams in the country. That's how it turned out. Kansas, Purdue, Gonzaga, uh, Marquette, Tennessee, uh, so five. Five of the top 11 teams in the country. Unbelievable. Um, and Purdue is their king right now. For the third year in a row, Purdue wins a marquee feast week event and uh, looked really good doing it. And here's my big takeaway following this. Now, just a quick disclaimer here. I didn't do one of these after every game because I didn't think it would make sense to do a podcast after one game uh, that ended late at night and then – we, they turned around and played again the next day, like 12 hours later. I just didn't think it made a whole lot of sense from a calendar perspective. Um, but I'm going to wrap up the whole event here in this one podcast. So my big takeaway from this is that this was obviously enormous for Purdue. Uh, you, you just built your resume, basically. You just had to deal with much-needed adversity and the fact you had to strain to win all three of these games over really good opponents – at least two of which I think are going to be elite teams this year, uh, that being Tennessee and that being uh, Marquette. Uh, we'll see about Gonzaga, whether they're a classic Gonzaga team or not. I don't know. A good win, nevertheless. Never a bad thing to beat Gonzaga, uh, in my experience. Um, so obviously there's the, the clear-cut stuff in terms of what this means for Purdue. But the thing I kind of take away from all this is that Purdue won this event without peaking. I don't think this was Purdue's ceiling. Uh, you'll have to excuse the traffic behind me. Um, no, I don't think this was a case of something you're going to look back on here and say, hey, Purdue peaked in November. Now, a lot of things can happen here in the next couple of months, um, but I think that Purdue's got upside remaining still. I think there's some things going on kind of under the surface here. I think some roles are starting to be defined. I think Zach Eady and Trey Kaufman-Ren are starting to click together. Uh, I, I, I think some guys are more empowered than they were a week ago. And I just think Purdue's getting better defensively, and I just think they're getting better together. Um, you know, for a, as, as continuous as this team was from last year to this year, yeah, that's right, continuous, um, it's still kind of new. Uh, you know, Lance Jones is a huge piece, a transformative piece, quite honestly, and then the Camden-Heidi 
Miles Colvin piece of this too is something very new and something very distinct. And the fact Painter is, is trying to max out upside on his roster by trying to kind of crowbar um, more scoring onto the floor by tethering Trey Kaufman, Rand, and Zach Eady together. That's going to be a process, and it, it, it's still a process. But you saw glimpses this week uh, out here in Honolulu uh, of that starting to work. And I think you saw some things uh, in some of these other guys that are going to have to accept, you know, very narrow role. I shouldn't say very narrow. Uh, you don't want to limit players like that, but very defined roles and, and very clear-cut ways where they can help this team win. And that means Caleb first coming in and really impacting games with his effort. I thought he was he was really good this weekend uh, to the point where people who look at the box score aren't going to understand. I think Mason Gillis, you know, is a guy who, I mean, he's a fifth-year senior. He's been a starter, and he's coming off the bench now, and he's still damn near killing himself on the floor, diving for loose balls and um, giving everything he has and, you know, kind of being vocal, even if it's in a lesser role. And there's no reason to think that, you know, just because he's not starting doesn't mean he's not the guy who finishes games as he has. Produce playing a lot of fours, and the hot hand thing seems to work right now in big and if, if they don't work if they work against these guys they're going to work against you know northwestern and illinois and whoever else the rest of the season but there's some some good stuff going on here that leads you to believe there's upside here remaining you know purdue was lousy at the foul line by its standards uh over these three days that reeks of aberration it just reeks of outlier and i i don't think that's going to be produced normal um, nor do I think that Purdue shooting the hell out of the ball from three-point range is necessarily going to be its normal. But if you just get to a reasonable floor there on both fronts, you're good. Uh, and I think that's what will happen. I think somewhere in the truth, I think somewhere in the middle on both fronts, the truth will lie. And that's all Purdue needs. And uh, sorry, I'm just letting the golf cart go behind me here. Uh, but no, that, that there's some stuff that happened out here that is just – that worked against Purdue and worked for Purdue that I think if you just meet in the middle on both fronts, I think you're, that is a really positive thing for Purdue. Uh, I think the turnovers, you know, are Purdue's path to getting upset by somebody and the, the proverbial, uh, ticking time bomb, uh, for Purdue. And they were, I don't want to say lucky cause they obviously made all the plays they needed to make. They got the stops they needed to make. They got the, they made the shots they needed to make uh, to win these games, but had Purdue lost one of these games, it would have been because of turnovers. And they just have got to do a better job. And there's nothing else Matt Painter and his coaching staff or Purdue's leaders can say about this that <laughs> they haven't said already because this was the emphasis all offseason. This was the emphasis this entire trip, I'm quite certain. And maybe it's just something Purdue's got to get out of its system here early in the season. I don't know. Um, but it, 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 it's the sort of thing that can get Purdue beat. Now, to Purdue's credit, and this is a backhanded compliment, um, it got rid of the live ball turnovers that really hurt it against Gonzaga, and then it still turned the ball over too much against Tennessee and Marquette, but those are good defensive teams that are built to create turnovers, so you have to give them credit for a lot of that stuff, and you have to recognize the fact, too, that at least they weren't, live ball turnovers they're more dead ball turnovers but uh Purdue's got to clean it up they just have to clean it up now I don't think 
there's a lot of teams in the Big Ten who can do to Purdue defensively what uh, Tennessee could do to them, what Marquette could do to them, you know, things like that. Now, now Alabama is going to be a challenge. Um, but you know what? This is where the Arkansas exhibition looms large because Purdue was better against Tennessee and Purdue was better against Marquette because it played at Arkansas. That I can assure you. Um, but Purdue's also really good, too, and that <laughs> – that's kind of your starting point here. And, um, you know, I, I, I think I don't need to tell you Purdue's good. You know Purdue is good. It's going to come down to how consistent Purdue is, how mature Purdue is, how tough Purdue is physically and mentally all season long. And they checked every box this weekend. They really did. And, uh, you know, the reason they're really good, or some of the reasons they're really good, go as follows, colon. Uh, one, Zach Eady is awesome. And as, as I've, I've uh, said over and over again, just enjoy this while you, while you have it, Purdue people, because you're not going to see anything like this ever again. You just have him standing there, and nobody can handle him. And um, he just dominated some of these games just by being present on, on the boards. And his putback in the final minutes of this Marquette game was one of the clutch, the most clutch plays, I, I think, he's made in his career, and he's made a bunch of them. Um, that was a really, really big play, uh, and a great play by Braden Smith to get the three-pointer up when the shot clock was was breathing down his neck. Um, but what Zach Eady does to these teams, it doesn't even show up in the box score either. You know, the points and the rebounds and the fouls drawn, all of that stuff is is one thing, but the the, the toll he takes on you, just the endless grinding on you he does and I don't mean that in any sort of lewd manner um, but he just wears you down and wears you down and wears you down and by the final six minutes of the game he's just going to do whatever he wants and he is produced closer and I think that was evident more than ever today because at the end of this game when Purdue couldn't get stops defensively uh, when Marquette was playing 100 miles an hour and you know, uh, from an offensive perspective, Purdue was kind of slowing down a little bit. They always had that foundation to go back to and go back to and go back to, and he would either get you a great shot or he would get fouled. Or if you took a shot you missed, he would get the rebound. And you're sitting here, if, if you're watching Purdue play and you're, you're, you're kind of understanding the big picture, when Braden Smith or, or Fletcher Lawyer or Lance Jones or Miles Colvin or whoever just get in the lane and just get the ball up on the rim – you still have like a 50% chance to score because the defense is moving around and Zach Eady is not, and he's going to get that rebound and he's going to dunk it. And it's just an unbelievable luxury to have. And it's just, I keep stealing the Avengers line from Thanos that I am, I am in inevitable. And that's exactly what Zach Eady is because by the last few minutes of these games, he, he's out there and it's just, there's nothing you can do. You're tired. He's still gigantic and he's still playing harder than any 7'4", 300-pound guy should legally be allowed to, to do. Um, and it's just – it's an unbelievable luxury to have, and the value goes exponentially beyond the box score. It's just something that almost isn't even worth talking about anymore because I can't even do it justice. Beyond that, Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer are all grown up, and I think that's – not that they weren't mature beyond their years last year – but now it's not a matter of beyond their years. It's a matter of they're just grown up. And I think that's a huge difference in this year's team. I think it represents 
a huge chunk of Purdue's upside as a team. It's threshold for improvement. But if you watch the last 10 minutes of this game, you saw a desperate Marquette team who really needed to heat up Purdue's guards and really needed to force mistakes, who got mistakes at times, but didn't really get them off Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer. And those guys made big shots for Purdue, but they made great decisions. They made great fundamental basketball plays when a lot of people would have been running around like they were on fire. Um, and uh, they had a singular focus on making plays when Purdue needed plays made when the shot clock was running down or on making damn certain the ball got into the hands of where the ball needed to be. Did that make sense? Um, you could see Fletcher. You could see the thought bubble over Fletcher Lawyer following him up and down the floor. Get the ball to Zach. Get the ball to Zach. Get the ball to Zach. And that's exactly what they did. And you saw what happened. And um, I think a lot of players would have, you know, gotten sped up both physically and mentally in moments like that. Um, and I don't think those guys do or will this season because they're experienced because they've been through games like this they've won games like this they've played a ton of college basketball games and this is the stuff that wins games in March this is the guard play you know that Purdue needed last March and uh, it got most of the season last year but not when it mattered the most and um, I don't think it's gonna be an issue this year this is this is as I've been saying for months Purdue's threshold for improvement lies in these guys' experience and these guys' added maturity, these guys' added poise, these guys' improvement, so on and so forth. As it has turned out, that is true. But I think Lance Jones, too, has been a just a transformative piece for a team that didn't really need one. Um, now, when I say it didn't need one, I, I'm not saying Lance Jones um, – doesn't fill some really important gaps for Purdue from a defensive perspective, from a tempo perspective, from a pace perspective, from a mentality perspective, things like that. But had Purdue just returned its team from last year, it would have been better just because of Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith. Adding a piece like Lance Jones into this and him being onboarded as quickly and smoothly as he seems to have been just makes Purdue that much better. And then when you look at just the depth part of it, I think, you know, as you've heard me say a thousand times, if you read our stuff, if anybody reads our stuff anymore, I, I get more comments on multimedia than I do about stuff I actually write. And I'm, I'm a writer by trade, so I don't know if I'm doing this right. Um, the depth piece of it, which you've heard me say over and over again, is – Depth is only depth until depth establishes itself as functional winning depth and not just numbers. People in the offseason look at rosters and say, oh, look, we have 10 guys. How are they going to play all 10 of these guys? And then like six of them end up playing because it's not reality when, you know, four of your guys aren't good enough to be winning Big Ten high-level basketball players and be trusted by their coach in critical moments in big games things like that. Now, I think, you know, Purdue has graduated out of this just being numbers and being actual winning depth. I think you have, you have 10 guys who can play, um, nine and a half at minimum. Um, I think what Miles Colvin has done 
Uh, you know, some nights have been better than others. He is a freshman, and I think people need to keep that in mind. Um, still, there are going to be mistakes, but his ability to come into games off the bench and just make huge shots when he's not had a chance to, you know, take 12 shots through the course of a game like he's used to is, is really something. Whether it's sustainable or not, we shall see. But he's going to get better and better as he continues to learn. Everything I've ever heard or seen about him is that he's conscientious. He listens. He wants to get better defensively. He wants to be more detail-oriented. Coaches are working with him, uh, sometimes probably in not-so-subtle voices. But um, he wants to get better. He's paying attention. He's not blowing off the little things that sometimes great scorers and really talented guys do because they're just so much better than everybody, and they're used to that. Um, he's going to get better and better. Camden Heidi is going to get better and better and find his way into a, what I'd imagine will be a, a very specific role at some point. Not that he, he can't do things outside of that role, but I, I think he's the sort of guy with his physicality, with his athleticism, with his interchangeability uh, from a defensive perspective. I think they can find a real niche for him. Um, I think, you know, Ethan Morton some nights is going to play more minutes than others. And I think he's the sort of guy who understands that. He's going to be okay with it. Uh, I think he's in it for the big picture. Uh, I think so far so good with Mason, Mason Gillis in the same boat. As I mentioned before about him, you know, he, he's used to being a starter. He's one of the older guys on this team, one of its leaders. And now he's he's taking a little bit of a, a, a I don't want to say smaller role because it's still important. But he, he's not getting the same run that he would have gotten on last year's team and things like that. You know, Caleb First is the same way. As I, I said, maybe in my rap video before, maybe earlier in this long and winding podcast, Caleb First was a borderline McDonald's All-American coming out of high school. He had everybody in the country at least recruiting him, if not offering him. North Carolina offered him. Michigan State offered him. He is perfectly cool. He is the happy warrior, uh, so to speak. I think that's a Gene Cadyism, maybe. I don't remember who coined it. Um, I think Tony Soprano was the happy clown, right? Uh, no, that, that that's not right. Um, happy warrior. Let's just go with that. Let's just not even worry about the attribution. Um, but that's exactly what he is. He, he just goes out there and plays. He throws his body around. He's energetic. He's physical. He, he was better this weekend than the box score could ever tell you in any way, shape, or form. He pinned a ton of fouls on people, and that stuff matters. That's big part of Purdue's battle of attrition formula here uh, trademark pending um, but he was really good in Honolulu one of these guys who's just going to play the same way every single game uh, and it's really going to help Purdue even if it doesn't result in scoring or statistics period and I think he's perfectly cool with that because he, he's he, he, he's the happiest most level headed kid ever and uh, I think that's a that's a really good thing to have on your team. And, you know, at some point in time, you always worry about this when you're in a situation like Purdue is right now is what's going to happen later in the season when, you know, somebody's not happy with how much playing time they're getting or somebody maybe is not important, is not prioritizing winning over their own playing time or their own glory or their own NIL deals or whatever. And, you know, I, I, I don't anticipate that being an issue for Purdue and, you know, it, it, it's only, what, seven games into the season and everything looks hunky-dory. But to wrap this up, the biggest point from all this is 
this was not Purdue's destination. Purdue is not in this for another November national championship. I use that term, and it comes off like a dig. It's not a dig. It might come off as a backhanded compliment. Purdue's been unbelievable in November. They've been number one three years in a row now, and I'm taking for granted the fact they will be number one Monday again. But I don't think um, this is any sort of destination for Purdue. This is probably almost becoming like an expectation around this place. And I think, you know, Purdue obviously has its eyes on something much bigger than this. Uh, They're looking right now like a team that is very much up to the job. But you have a Big Ten season still to play here. You Big Ten championships still matter. Uh, the Big Ten looks like it's set up like a bowling pin right now for Purdue to knock down. Don't want to take anything for granted. You never know what can happen. It's a long season. But um, the last couple Novembers, or the last one and a half Novembers, I will say, Purdue peaked in November. Two years ago, it absolutely peaked in November. Last year, it played its best basketball in November. Played great basketball the rest of the year but probably gets perceived to a certain extent as a team that peaked in November, even though I don't think that's entirely accurate. This, I do not think, was Purdue peaking in November. I think Purdue can get better than what it was here uh, in Honolulu, and it was damn good in Honolulu. Uh, I think this experience, getting pushed and really having to strain, is much better for Purdue than it would have been had Purdue just won all these games by 10 points and never you know, been threatened. I, I think this was the best case scenario for Purdue uh, and something it would be better because of. And I think that's a really big deal. And I, I, I just think Purdue's got to take it one day at a time still. You know, blurt out some cliches here to the dog walkers behind me. Got to take it one game at a time, not get too far ahead of yourself. Stay in the moment. Don't read your own press clippings, you know, things like that carry yourself like you're the best team in the country but don't believe you can't be beat um you know stuff like that um but Purdue is the best team in the country I I think they established that um this week for whatever good that even means this time of year I think that is the reality and uh I, I think Purdue's got a got a lot more to do this year and uh we'll see what happens uh from here on out uh I don't think they're going to change because of this in any sort of negative way. Um, I think they've they've got um, a really good focus about them, a really good maturity about them. They're older, they're more experienced. They've been wounded, and those those wounds may or may not have scarred over to this point. And um, you know, I, I don't want to get in the habit of talking about that after every one of these games. But it is the it is the underscore it is the undercurrent of Purdue's season. Whether it's worth talking about after every game or not, uh, it, it, it is the story of their season. They will be confronted with it after every single big win. Uh, there will be lots of yeah buts after things like this. Um, but now is not the time or the place. You know, Purdue can enjoy this, but Purdue also has to understand that there is there is still work to be done here. There is still a much bigger uh, pinata to be busted open. I don't know why the hell I chose pinata to be be busted open. Uh, I could have gone with turkey to be cooked. That would have been better. But um, anyway, that's what I got. This is my post Maui Invitational um, goldenblack.com sitting on the beach looking at the Pacific Ocean podcast. I do want to say one more thing here real quick that I've said on video but not on audio. Um, 
the University of Hawaii and the city of Honolulu did an unbelievable job making this work. I think it was really important to Maui, and I think it was really important to Hawaii that this thing stay within Hawaii. And uh, the amount of money they were able to raise, the amount of attention they were able to generate for Maui, I'm quite certain. Hopefully ESPN did its part in all of this. I didn't watch any of this on TV, obviously, because I was there. Um, this was a really big deal. And the University of Hawaii especially bent over backwards to make this thing work. Uh, this is an urban commuter campus in a huge resort city where it's typical resort city where it, it's, it's housing, it, it's resort, it's hotel, it's business. As much as you can get onto as little land as possible by the beach, and this is this is a landlocked campus with very little parking um, and a school in session. So we're walking through students, we're walking through we're walking through professors, we're walking by their offices, we're walking by their football team practicing, we're walking by their basketball team practicing, we're walking by their female athletes in their weight room. The University of Hawaii played a men's basketball game at 8.30 last night after the last Maui Invitational game was played. They just bent over backwards. Um, this whole operation here, the city, the university, all these bus drivers, all these volunteers, all, all these, these people who played a, a small but really meaningful role in all of this. College basketball and the state of Hawaii owe them a huge debt of gratitude, I think. And it's it, it just so awesome that this was still able to be held in Hawaii. Um, hopefully this thing goes back to Maui next year. Uh, we shall see. But obviously, you know, keep Maui in, in your thoughts and understand from somebody who's been there twice how awesome that place is, how nice the people out there are, how kind the people are out there, how great that event has always been, how cool the city of Lahaina is, and just how much was lost in, in obviously those those very tragic things that happened. Um, all the people who lost their lives, all the people who lost their homes, all the people who lost their their businesses. I know Purdue was hoping to go to Maui, uh, as everyone was, to leave 400% tips for the people who provided them food, you know, things like that. I'm, I'm saying that half jokingly, but really half seriously. Um, but the next best thing was what University of Hawaii and the city of Honolulu were able to do here. And I think they deserve a huge credit, a huge thank you uh, on everyone's behalf here for making this unbelievable event work. Um, this was an unbelievable event and this was an unbelievable week for Purdue. And uh, that's pretty much all I have to say now. So I'm going to stick the landing here and cut this off at an unbelievable 26 point, 26, nearly 27 minutes. This is a record. Uh, I hope some of you listen to this all the way through. If not, I completely understand. Thank you to the uh, East End Grill and Ripple and Company. I'm looking forward to getting back to your food. Um, the uh, Purdue Federal Credit Union, uh, T&W Design and Build, AcrePro.com, and the Whitaker Inn, which I will be driving by on my way back from the airport uh, tomorrow night. Um, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I, I hope everyone has a great holiday. I hope everyone who came out here to Hawaii has a safe trip back and uh, be safe. And I will talk to you again after going from the major leagues to Purdue versus Texas Southern. So I will talk to you again next week after Purdue plays Texas Southern and beats them by 40 points. So thank you, everybody. Uh, take care of yourselves.
Пока.